Welcome to Dwell in the Word from First Reformed Church in Edgerton, Minnesota. Bible readings and devotional commentary to help you grow in faith by dwelling in God's Holy Word. It is March 17th. It is Friday, so that means piercing heaven. Let us pray. In your beauty, blessed Lord, we see a fullness of grace, truth, and righteousness. It corresponds exactly to the wants of poor sinners, your blood to cleanse, your grace to comfort, your fullness to supply. In you there is everything we can want, life, light, joy, pardon, mercy, peace, happiness here, glory hereafter. Do I not see you, my King, in your beauty when I behold you coming with all these for me? So I must cry out with the psalmist, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. And that is not all, because when I see the king in his beauty, I see him also in his love. Yes, blessed Lord, you are so beautiful, for you have so loved poor sinners that you give yourself for them. And we know that our love for you did not come first, but your love to us came first. Your love prompted ours, your love filled our hearts, and by your Spirit, first prompted our minds to look toward you. That makes you lovely indeed. And now, Lord, every day's view of you increases that love and brings home your beauty more and more. The more often you stoop to visit my poor soul, the more beautiful you appear. Every appearance, every view, every glimpse of Jesus tends to make my God and King more gracious and lovely to my soul and adds fresh fervor to my love. Come then, you blessed, holy, lovely one, and ravish my spiritual senses with your beauty, that my whole soul would be filled only with the love of Jesus every day, until that day when, from seeing you here below, through your grace, I come to look upon you and live forever in your presence, in the full beams of your glory in your throne above. Amen. All right, we are going to be looking at 13 verses in Isaiah chapter 57, verses 1 through 13 today. Hear the word of the Lord. The righteous man perishes and no one lays it to heart. Devout men are taken away while no one understands. For the righteous man is taken away from calamity. He enters into peace. They rest in their beds who walk in their uprightness. But you draw near, sons of the sorceress, offspring of the adulterer and the loose woman, Whom are you mocking? Against whom do you open your mouth wide and stick out your tongue? Are you not children of transgression, the offspring of deceit? You who burn with lust among the oaks under every green tree, who slaughter your children in the valleys under the clefts of the rocks? Among the smooth stones of the valley is your portion. They, they are your lot. To them you have poured out a drink offering. You have brought a grain offering. Shall I relent for these things? On a high and lofty mountain you have set your bed. And there you went up to offer sacrifice. Behind the door and the doorpost you have set up your memorial. For deserting me you have uncovered your bed, you have gone up to it, you have made it wide, and you have made a covenant for yourself with them. You have loved their bed, you have looked on nakedness. You journeyed to the king with oil and multiplied your perfumes. You sent your envoys far off and sent down even to Sheol. You were wearied with the length of your way, but you did not say it is hopeless. You found new life for your strength. And so you were not faint. Whom did you dread and fear, so that you lied and did not remember me, did not lay it to heart? Have I not held my peace even for a long time, and you do not fear me? I will declare your righteousness and your deeds, but they will not profit you. When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. 
The wind will carry them all off. A breath will take them away. But he who takes refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. These prophetic books can be kind of a difficult read, can't they? Because we sort of have this back and forth, right? God talks about the things that the people have done. He is going to punish them. He has punished them. He's going to bring them back. And it seems like everything's going to be good. And then the prophet once again speaks against the people, right? And we see that here today. It's felt pretty good the last couple times we've looked at this. Yeah, we've seen some contrast, but we get this idea that maybe there's a resolution, right? But turns out there isn't. We're talking about idolatry again. And here we see, as the heading is in the ESV, God talking about how futile it is. And so we see that the people have rejected God. They have turned to idolatry. This is this is something that is a problem throughout the Old Testament. They're not content with what God has given them. And as I always say, it's really easy to judge them and to say, hey, God has done all this amazing stuff, and yet you turn to idolatry. Uh, But let's be honest, we are prone to this as well. God has done amazing stuff for us. He has shown us great things in Christ, and yet we turn away. We struggle in sin all the time. But here we see with these people that there is something pretty serious going on here. And the language is really vivid. You see in verse 3, But you draw near, sons of the sorceress, offspring of the adulterer and the loose woman. That's pretty harsh language of God's calling his people this. They, they are his. He has called them, but now he is saying, because of what you've done, because of the decisions you've made, because of the idolatry that you're participating in, you are now, again, sons of the sorceress, uh, offspring of an adulterer, right? This is harsh language. And as we get down a little bit further, we sort of get this idea. There's there's a reason that this is such strong imagery. You've heard me say it several times as we've been in Isaiah, and I'm sure I've said it uh, preaching, and also as we have been going through other books here on Dwell in the Word. uh, We don't understand just how sexual in nature uh, pagan idolatry was. Uh, We don't know that. We don't want to talk about it and probably shouldn't talk about it too much. It's, it's just not, it's not fun to think about. But we see, we see this on display for us in verses 7 and 8. Uh, we get this idea that they have gone and they have, they've turned to adultery against God. Okay, Not only idolatry, but adultery. Remember, God is the faithful spouse of his people. And when they turn away from him, it is an adulterous thing. That's why this imagery is so vivid. Not only is, are they being unfaithful to the one who is faithful to them, but there's also these images of of extremely sexual things happening in their idolatry. It it works on so many levels, and that's why it always seems to come through uh, when this kind of stuff is talked about. So we see in verse 7, on a high and lofty mountain you have set your bed, and there you went up to offer sacrifice. Now, remember, the high and lofty mountains, that would have been the high places, that would have been where they would have done these pagan sacrifices. This is not a sacrifice to God. Remember, it was the priests that did that. God was holy. They needed a mediator. They needed a system that mediated between them and God. They couldn't just offer their sacrifices there. But 
with these this pagan idolatry. They could go, they could do this, they could do whatever. And so it's not just on the lofty mountains. It's not just uh, away from there. He also says, behind the door and the doorpost, you have set up your memorial for deserting me. You have uncovered your bed. You have gone up to it. You have made it wide. In other words, it's open. And you have made a covenant for yourself with them. You have loved their bed. You have looked on nakedness. Again, this imagery here works on multiple levels because it's the imagery of adultery against God and also the imagery of the idolatry that is taking place in these ritual sacrifices and the the sacrifice of children, all these different things that are talked about in here. This is a pretty brutal passage to read when you think about the consequence of it. And as we come down to the end of it, God continues to speak, right? And we get this idea that he he is letting them know that they have turned away. They have chosen other things. But for those who have been faithful, there is something wonderful and good. And he's going to draw out here that none of this is going to help the people, right? This decision they've made, whether it was because it was something tangible in front of them, whether they liked the the sensual pleasures of the flesh, whether they were doing it because other people in their family were, it doesn't matter. God is calling it out here. Uh, Verse 12, I will declare your righteousness and your deeds, but they will not profit you. This is sarcasm here. They are not being righteous. They are being uh, adulterous. They are being idolatrous. This This is harsh sarcasm. God has skewered them here with the sarcasm. Hey, I'll I'll tell you what you've done, and it ain't going to be of any profit to you. You cannot claim any righteousness. And so, when bad things happen, what does verse 13 say? say? When you cry out, let your collection of idols deliver you. When you cry out, let them help. You have this. You've chosen to sacrifice to them. You've chosen this immoral path. Let them help you. Well, the wind is going to carry them all off. Notice the significance of that. Uh, the wind carrying away. It doesn't take much to carry. Uh, it doesn't take something of substance to stay put in the wind. You know, not everything blows away in the wind. What is the imagery? That that it's worthless. It's like chaff. You go to Psalm 1. Those are the, those are the things that blow away in the wind. It's not something substantial that blows away. Uh, just something with any weight, something with any substance is going to hold fast, right, in the wind. But what is the prophet saying here? What is God saying here? This is worthless. There's nothing to your idols. They're going to get carried off. A breath will take them away. It's not even a strong wind. It's not even a strong wind. They are worthless. But notice who is going to stand fast. But he who takes refuge in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. There's a contrast there. Blown away versus possessing the land. Going to the high places and making the sacrifices on your own. Going to those things that are, that are worthless or going to the holy mountain of God where he has set up his temple. Where the sacrifices that are mediated for the forgiveness that they need for the covenant that God has made with them. That, that place versus the other places. And so this is an important passage for us as we once again think about idolatry. As I said, we are all prone to this. We are all prone to turning away. But are we going to stick with something that's substantial? Because the things that you and I chase after, no matter what it is, they are like chaff. They blow away easily. A breath can take them away. 
the things in our life, if you face tragedy, you, you know that they can be taken away from you quickly. But what lasts? The one who we take refuge in, the one who has set up a foundation for us, and that foundation is the gospel. The foundation is the cross where forgiveness of sins comes for us. So may we take refuge in God so that we have this sure foundation, so that we know of our inheritance, that place that cannot be moved. May we seek out that which cannot be moved as opposed to that which blows away easily. And may we seek that in faith because we know that it is God who has brought us to this place. So let's trust in that today. Let's close up with a word of prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for the gift of your word, and we pray that today the convicting words from Isaiah that we've heard would convict us of areas of idolatry in our lives. For we know that you are the one true God, and you are the one who in Christ has rescued us from idolatry. Grant that we would look to you alone and take our refuge in you and rest in the inheritance that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we conclude another week and we head into the weekend, we thank you for all the blessings that you bestowed upon us. Bless us with a sense of gratitude as we remember that all good things come from your hand and help us to love and serve our neighbor as we are reminded that you have first served and loved us in Jesus. And as we step out into the world this Friday and this weekend, may we pursue holiness that our lives might be a living sacrifice set apart in service to you. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. All right, that gets us through verse 13 of Isaiah 57. We'll move on to verse 14 next week. We will see you then. Thank you for joining us for Dwell in the Word. To learn more about First Reformed Church, head on over to our Facebook page or website, edgertonfrc.org.